And welcome to this week's episode of How to Breathe So You Don't Look Fat, a podcast titled after a lesson I was taught at eight years old. My name is Anna Mansell and I created this podcast to talk with regular people about the relationship they have with body, self and food, all in a desperate search to improve my own. This week we're talking with Sunday Times and New York Times bestseller Rowan Coleman. We had a brilliant chat about greed, sweet treats as medicine and dieting making you fatter. I would also like to add a trigger warning ahead of our chat for you. This episode does include conversation around child sexual abuse. Please, if this subject is difficult for you, take care of yourself as well as you might somebody else. Hello, Rowan. (laughs) You are a Sunday Times and New York Times bestseller. Not just a Sunday Times, the New York (laughs) Times bestseller as well. Um, Author of several books, including the memory book, The Summer of Impossible Things and The Girl at the Window. You also write the Bronte mystery series novels that imagine... Um, novels that imagine that before they were famous, the Bronte sisters were amateur sleuths. I have to confess, I haven't read one yet, but they are on my list because they sound excellent I bet they're a lot of fun I I love writing them I think they are yeah I hopefully they are a lot of fun they're they're quite they can be quite dark and gothic but also a lot of fun there's jokes there's jokes that's good (laughs) (laughs) but you're probably like you're probably the biggest Bronte fan aren't you if if there was a quiz I think I am (laughs) One, I did win Bronte Mastermind quiz held by the Bronte Parsonage, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) Quite right too. You write those under the name Bella Ellis um, and you live in Hertfordshire with your large family and two dogs. Yes. So that's you. And I've... um, I read many of your books over the years and I do remember reading the memory book not long after my nan passed away from dementia and emailing you to say what a beautiful book I thought it was Um, and that was before I'd started writing as well or before I'd got published and I remember thinking oh I, I really want to email her but I don't know whether I should and then now that I'm a writer as well I think yeah if you ever have a thought about wanting to write to an author just do it <laughs> yes, yes please we like that Cheers up. <laughs> when, when you're in the middle of a draft and you don't know whether yeah. there's any point to it whatsoever and somebody yeah. writes to you then it does it does make a big difference reason it? to keep going <laughs> yeah yeah definitely but of course today we're not talking about books we are talking about um all things body image yeah and I asked you as I do everybody uh when you first became aware of your body and you said that you were a very skinny little girl and that your mum always prodded your pot belly. Yeah, so I, I kind of grew up thinking that I was fat. Um, and if you'd asked me, there weren't many photos of me as a, as a child because um, famously my parents had to sell the camera when I was born. Um, but I grew up sort of continuously thinking I was fat. And then a, a few years ago, I, uh, my mum came across about three or four photos of me from the age of about six to nine that she gave me. Um, And I was so skinny, skinny little legs, skinny little arms, but constantly uh, always being told I had a fat tummy and uh, always being given half a portion of everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, That makes me really sad for little Rowan. 
Yeah, little Rowan is sad. (laughs) (laughs) She's still sad. (laughs) Little Rowan was also told she was greedy as well, you say. Yeah, little Rowan was told she was greedy. Um, Yes. Yeah, I was often told that I was I was greedy. But at the same time, I was also, if I was crying or I hurt my knee or or anything was wrong, the fix to that was some chocolate or some sweets. Yeah. yeah. Um, or food was the yeah. fix. Yeah, yeah. So, Always. That was the same for yeah. me. Ice cream, any, anything at yeah. all. The good stuff, in quotes. The good stuff yeah. was always given as the, as the medicine. Yeah. And I caught myself with my uh, with my youngest doing it with her when she was very little. I caught myself when she'd fallen over going, oh, come here, let's have a biscuit and thinking. And I, as soon as I caught myself doing it, it's like, fuck, no, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah. do that. It's, um, but yeah, it, it, it's an automatic go-to, isn't it? Um, who was telling you a greedy? Was that like family or, or just? Family, I mean, mainly my mum. And I don't really... I don't know, I've thought about this a lot of the years, I don't blame her because she grew up uh, during World War II and it was all rations um, and it was all, you know, she she told me that she used to have boiled, when she used to have a portion of boiled sweets uh, from the rations and she would keep them and play with them like they were toys instead of eating them. Oh. Um, and so, but I think when she was parenting me, it, a lot of that, childhood mentality uh, about food was sort of brought into how she raised me particularly as a girl so for boys yeah. it was like feed them feed them they need food they need food girls no you shouldn't eat too much <laughs> and um you shouldn't eat too much but when you're sad have a chocolate and that was so I, I think it's kind of like I don't think I blame her I think she's just a product of her of her generation um and uh, and I don't think she thought for one minute about the kind of long-term consequences of that no early awareness of your body as a, as a small girl yeah I think I mean my I think a lot of well we've had the conversation several times on the uh, podcast before about particularly with mothers about not blaming them for conversations that have been had or the women in general the women around us because of the them being products of of social norms basically um and yeah that was definitely the same thing for me about um you know mum's relationship to food was was terrible and her the clearing the plate was her thing Mm -hmm. because you weren't allowed to have you weren't allowed waste it wasn't that wasn't the done thing if you uh and that comes again that comes from that war era of making sure that you use everything up whereas that's certainly not something that I stand to now. If the if, if the kids are full and there's still food on the plate, then it's always if you're full, you're full. That's fine. You don't get any pudding. <laughs> but if you're full, you're full, and that's fine. Um, yes. Yeah. I have that conversation with my children. It's like, I'm full. Okay. So you don't want pudding. Well, I've got a space for pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of the things that was interesting to me though is about uh you you said both of those things about being told about your pot belly and being greedy but that you didn't really think about your weight until you worked in an office in your mid-20s and everyone was obsessed with weight what did that obsession yeah. look like so I uh, for the first part of my kind of working life I worked in a bookshop and largely by myself um, and I just didn't think about it. I mean, I was size 14, 
and I didn't think about it at all. Uh, and then I went into uh, an office environment and it was, the co it was constant, it was constant. I'm on this diet, I'm doing cabbage soup diet. I can only have um, three, you know, 30 calories a year um, for my lunch. <laughs> so yeah, so I was so surprised by this constant conversation and it was in an open plan office, which was, actually 100% women it was you know um this was um the late 90s and it was um they were assistants and, and admin staff um and it was very much the men in the office and the women in the open plan um layout and it was constant talk about how many calories is this and I'm gonna have three rice cakes for lunch and uh I'm doing cabbage soup diet and I'm doing um protein only diet and have you read about this article? And it was just constant. And everybody mm. was constantly talking about, like, if there were biscuits and a break, people would be like, well, I shouldn't really. But I'm, you know. And suddenly I became hyper aware of um, what I was eating and what my dress size was. And um, the impact on me wasn't to make me eat less and be thinner, but I just literally became fatter <laughs> I don't even know how that worked because I think because it was then I started to try to diet and uh what I've learned now that I'm 50 years old is that dieting makes you fatter mm. the end yeah. of the day yeah it's um <clears throat> uh, I've just been reading the fuck it diet by Carolyn Duna um which is basically talking about that exact fact and the fact that it puts our body into stress. So the moment that you're in that environment where everyone's talking about that all the time, you're, you are hyper aware and super stressed about it all. And then your body goes into, I mean, the science makes total sense. Why are we not talking about this more? That your body goes into that kind of panic, reserve, protect state and so yeah. it's going to hang on to everything that it possibly can, regardless yeah. of what you're putting into it. And it's not to say that you can't lose that weight or bits of weight in a, a in a short period. If people say, don't they? Well, I've done various diets and and it's worked, but it it works and, for a period of time, and then yeah. and then you have to either be constantly on that crazy diet or um just don't diet in the first place and honestly if I'd never done a diet in my life I'd probably be in a much better situation now yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was saying this exact thing this morning I, I I I have to stop now because if I don't stop with the dieting now then I'm just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then I'll feel frustrated at not being able to do the things I want to do as well that's yeah. the other thing isn't it the other impact yeah. Um, we're talking about the things that people have said to you that you remember and you said that somebody's called you a lazy fat bitch yeah yeah um yeah so I I was just I mean this is one of those weird altercations that you have you know with people that you don't know and I was just on a bus I was on a bus actually on the way to hospital because um I'd hurt my shoulder and uh I was in a lot of pain somebody wanted to get I was sitting on the aisle seat. Somebody was sitting by the window. They wanted to get up. And instead of getting out of my seat, I turned 90 degrees to allow them to pass. Um, and their response to that was to call me a, a lazy effing fat bitch. Um, and that, yeah. I mean, bearing in mind that at that time I was a size 16. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's, 
you know, it's that kind of unwarranted aggression that you know has got a lot more to do with that person. It has to do with you, but still, that's you know, they wanted to shout at somebody, and that's what they mm. chose was and my it, way. It stays with you, doesn't it? The word yeah. fat has got has is so it's used with such venom that it's no longer a thing and it is it, you know it, it does have that real emotional psychological impact I was trying to explain to my husband this morning because only yesterday I was trying I was talking to my GP I've I made an appointment with my GP to talk about weight I said mm. you know um and it essentially went very badly because he didn't have a he didn't know what to say I said to him I'm stuck on this weight which is 17 stone five pounds it's out there now um, I've been stuck in this weight for two years. If I don't, you know, the minute I eat a piece of chocolate or or, or anything, it'll go up. I'm eating very healthily. I exercise all the time. I never lose any weight. What can I do? And he went, Weight Watchers. I said, Done Weight Watchers. Terrible disaster. Um, what's next? And he said, Oh, I don't know. Um, and I was like, Oh, it's funny that I thought obesity was a national crisis and perhaps you could be able to help me because. <laughs> I'm 50 years old. I want to live a long life. I don't want to die early because I can't lose weight. Anyway, I was trying to explain to my husband this morning why, how people judge you on your way and how they make judgments about your intelligence mm. and your uh, attitude and your personality and whether or not you're active or a lazy person based on your weight. And you know, a lot of the time there's just, well, most, all of the time there's very little correlation between your weight and how bright you are yeah. um, or your weight and how active you are. Yeah. I am very rarely sit down except for when I'm working. And even then I get up once an hour because my watch tells me to. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's partly it, that constant judgment from other people about the sort of person you must be because of your weight is uh is very it's tiring it's exhausting yeah yeah it is I definitely think that I think um I mean I do more now physically than I ever have before you know I I, I'm definitely more um uh, active than I was before even last year you know even last summer I'm more active now than I was last summer um but I'm bigger than I was last summer and um sort of almost the biggest almost as big as the biggest I've ever been but but considerably healthier than I've ever been my diet is much more varied than it ever was before um and I'm a fucking genius Rowan so it's got nothing to do with <laughs> are as well I know it's 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 um yeah, I mean, I am, yeah, I am active because I, I, and I do take care about what I eat and uh, it, it's hard. It's just mm. very hard. I, I do, I do it. remember a conversation, um, a conversation with a colleague uh, in one of those away day things. I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but where um, her comment was around the fact that people will judge you. And I don't know whether I still to this day, maybe I should ask her one day. Um, I still to this day don't know whether she was saying that she had judged me or whether it was just that external thing of mm -hmm. uh, external judgment. But it's definitely it is definitely there. And, um, you know, and there's examples in TV, certainly in the 80s and 90s, when when it's used as a tool to 
describe lazy people you know fatness yeah. is used as yeah. a tool to describe yeah. lazy people and uh, and it's so it just it repeats all of those messages doesn't it and we just we suck it suck it all up we we retain and yeah. have that information in fact i i just recently saw a tweet by uh louise stowell, stowell uh a children's book editor uh, pleading with writers to stop using the fat comedy trope in their fiction yeah it's it's yeah. just damaging and lazy. It's that is lazy, Anna. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It really is. <laughs> I also think, though, you're talking about wanting to stay fit and healthy, but uh, you know, people—that's such an, a, a massive thing. Just it, it's not simply our physicality that needs to be healthy. It's our it's our our mindset. Yeah. And for me, if my knees are fucked but my head's okay. I'm going to take that because yeah. out of the two, I can adjust my life to deal with knees that don't like going up or indeed down a hill. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I, I cut the impact on me and everyone around me, if my head is not okay, yeah, is significantly bigger. Yeah, and I think in terms of um, self-esteem and how I feel about my body, it's actually not it's it's good I have good self-esteem yeah, I like when you say I that yeah I like I like my body um I like the clothes that I wear it's it's not really if I was if I knew that I was in good tip-top health uh, this way and I would always be um and it wouldn't um impact on my future years then I that would be I would just say a big fuck you to everybody else who likes to make pass judgment on a way and just be happy yeah yeah (laughs) but I read an article uh on BBC News website the other day about um about weight people who find it very difficult to lose weight and about the the possibility of of a genetic uh type yeah which, you know I don't know if that's kind of true but also but what it but the one sentence that sticks in my head is there is no such thing as a healthy obese person so um you know now that that's kind of got in my head and now I'm like well I, I have to I have to stay healthy because I have many small children yeah. <laughs> my youngest are only nine I need to stay alive for at least another 20 to 30 years yeah. Um, yeah. how can I do that it's best yeah. how can I best do that and that's so that's the next sort of level it's like I'm really all for body positivity and um and I'm very positive about my body but I also don't want to die <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's it's complex, isn't it? Because the 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 stress of uh trying to navigate that thought process doesn't help either, does it? Yeah. And yeah, you we look to the medical profession for that advice because they they are supposed to be the ones in the know, but I must admit I've kept thinking to myself recently because I am so distrusting of the medical profession. Um, when it comes to issues around body that I feel as if any diagnosis I get from here on in will be would you say the same same thing to a thin person to a slim person yeah and I I feel exactly the same way and also I come through um, going through that whole menopause thing where they basically treated me for depression instead of for menopause 
um, even though it was blatantly obvious that what I needed was HRT and not antidepressants. Um, and I do think that there is an awful lot of dismissiveness towards middle-aged women, if yeah. I'm completely frank, and also towards fat people. So when you're a fat middle-aged woman, you know, what hope have you got? You're just, <laughs> you're just basically a hysterical, lazy person, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, you know, the chief, he said to me, one of the things he said to me in this conversation was, well, you know, it's not how much exercise you do, it's how many calories you eat. I said, yes, I know! You've been doing this for 20 years, mate! I know! <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a thing or two about dieting, Mr. Doctor. <laughs> and and, and oh. so I, had, I have actually written to my GP this morning asking for another, to my practice asking for another GP because it, it, it's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane that yeah. you wouldn't have the basic knowledge of what I can do next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also maybe there's something there in in research that needs to happen you know what 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 really are the risks obviously we are told of there being risks and they are associated with weight but that's not to say that people in slender bodies are not exposed to problems as well so how much real research has been done and maybe there is and I because I'm don't read masses of research but you know how much real research has been done into the middle-aged woman the middle-aged fat woman's body and what their health situation really is rather than the assumptions um and the associating certain illnesses to weight as opposed to to genetics or whatever else it might be well yes that's that's really true so I'm getting being sent next week or in a couple of weeks for a fasting test to see if I'm pre-diabetic um and I don't think I will show as pre-diabetic because I'm because I'm on HRT um and my mum who is 84 and who is very small uh, and has always eaten very healthily and um is very conscious about that is pre-diabetic because mm. she's 84 yeah, and you know, some a diabetic nurse said to her, "Anybody over the age, everyone over the age of sixty-five is pre-diabetic because it's age-related disease." Yeah. Um, so you know, there's that. Um, also, I do think there is quite a lot of research. That the whole paper, that paper that I read about, and with the sentence, "There's no such thing as a healthy obese person," yeah, was all about this research and how there there are people who just cannot. Um, who just cannot lose weight in the traditional way and keep it off and that mm. you get down to a certain weight but then your body will immediately sabotage you because it's programmed to keep you at the heaviest weight you've ever been yeah because that's in you know going back to prehistoric times heavier was better yeah um so there is research going on but it does seem that at the moment the only the only kind of medical solution to that is uh, surgery. Yeah. And that's also not something that's ideal. No, uh, no. I mean, the constriction placed on your life from surgery just is, is massive. Uh, it feels like, that feels like such a, a desperate and extreme solution. Um. There is, there is the theory, isn't there, that when, you know, I mean, I've basically been on one diet or another since I was 
eight years old. I'm now 44. So 36 years of my life, I've been in some phase of restriction or binging or restriction or binging or, you know, there's been very little, apart from perhaps in the last couple of years, there's been very little control. So my Mm. metabolism is fucked. There's there's, there's, (laughs) there's no way that that's, and that's, that's just circumstantial. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's whether you can fix metabolism. That's the thing, isn't it? That's exactly that. It's some sort of metabolism therapy. Would yeah. Be great. Yes. Um, we need to surgery. Yeah. So, but I feel so, like I need to Google know, I'm that. I'm currently trying now. I'm so I'm now. Uh, my latest bid is to uh, keep doing what I'm doing, which is eat, eating healthily uh, and exercising daily. And now I'm going to try supplements. So I'm going to try turmeric and uh, why I'm trying turmeric. I've been taking that for a month, not any thinner. Um, (laughs) uh, My poo is orange. Um, Oh, that's always a bonus. (laughs) Um, And I'm about to take something called lean bean, which allegedly helps you feel full. Right. And improve your metabolism. I don't think I believe it, but that's where I'm at, you know. I'm at it's, that snake oil stage of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the fears that you have about your health, are they fears that you have because you feel as if your body's letting you down in some way? Or are they fears that you have because you're being told that your body is letting you down? Um, uh, mostly that I'm being told that this yeah. is all going to end in disaster. Um. Secondly, because I do, actually not as much now, but I do have back and hip issues, which I feel would be easier if I if it wasn't carrying around quite so much mm. um, poundage. But part, but a lot of the time, because I'm being told that there's no such thing as a healthy fat person. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's I can't get that sentence out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so. It's so exhausting. You have said this somewhere in here, or maybe it was when we were talking, but just how fucking tiring it all is. Um, It is really, because you think about it every day, don't you? Almost every minute. Um, And, you know, every time you look in a mirror, every time you want to try on a pair of jeans, God forbid, you know, that's like like, jeans have not been a part of my life for six years because I can't. (laughs) I cannot and will not wear the size jeans that I need to in order to be able to wear jeans. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. I did find an excellent <laughs> pair of elasticated waisted jeans a couple of years ago and I was delighted until I wore them so much that I put a hole in the crotch. That was a sad day, Rowan. <laughs> Forgive me interrupting the podcast, but I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy these chats and want to show us some appreciation, you can now buy us a coffee at our new coffee account. You head to ko-fi forward slash how to breathe so you don't look fat and leave us a tip or go to our Instagram page and find the link in our bio. Any and all donations are not just welcome, but appreciated. Thank you. And back to the chat. Talk to me about food then. You say that um, you said that food was denied to you as a child, but given to yeah. you as, as a comfort. Um, yeah. And I relate to the feeling of wanting to overeat when you're sad and stressed. 
but also that food brings you joy. Um, I love food. <laughs> it's the best, right? It's delicious. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing nicer than a really beautifully made meal um, and the different flavours and um, sensations of eating really gorgeous things. Um, and I really do love food. I do. I love it. Uh, unfortunately, I'm also... I, I'm prone to kind of self-medicating with chocolate, with sugar. Mm. Uh, and if I'm down... So because I... I enjoy food objectively as a, as a wonderful part of being a human being. That's why yeah. we have, you know, taste buds. But also, um, that's my go-to. Whatever mood I'm in, if I'm tired, chocolate. If I'm sad, chocolate. If I'm happy, chocolate. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the only times when I, I don't, if I'm working, biscuits, the only time I don't feel kind of like a very strong urge for sugar is if I'm uh on a mission for some reason you know right. like, like at the moment I'm sort of very keyed up uh but I haven't and I haven't had um the my norm anywhere near my normal levels of sugar for about three weeks yeah how long will that last I don't know does it and make you feel any better uh I have a lot more energy a lot lot more energy but the thing is is I know I've been here before so every day I just say to them I think we need to treat it sugar addiction particularly or or any sort of addiction the same way that we treat alcoholism or um you know a drug addiction because it mm. is just as pervasive and just yeah. as damaging yeah yeah um it's and interesting I, though isn't it because some people talk about that there are two camps of thought on that aren't there there is the camp of thought that says that sugar and food addiction is is as bad as alcoholism but without the ability to take it out of your diet and then there are other people who say that th- there is no such thing and that the addiction behavior that we adopt is purely because of the feelings because of the amount of restriction that we've always done and the feelings of shame that are attached to eating it in the first place so oh, that's yeah I find that I mean the, the I find that concept really interesting because if you're not restricting something the desire to have it, it yeah. you know, it does distinguish. It does distinguish. It does, and and I'm aware of that as well on a peripheral level. So I haven't said I haven't said to myself no more chocolate ever. Yeah, yeah, no more sugar ever. But I'm just trying to because I know that doesn't work. So I'm just trying to not have a whole bag of sharing giant chocolate buttons. Yeah, uh, before bed. Yeah, but because that is the the other thing is that it has an impact on my, how, on my, it, I find it relaxing. It makes me, it puts me in a state of, of deep relaxation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's not healthy, is it? It's better to be tired. Run around. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I do, I, I, I do work with all these kind of parameters telling me what I should be doing and how I should be feeling and, and how I should seek re, a relaxing state. Um, and it, it's it's a maze, I think. It is, it's a maze that's very hard to get through when you're bombarded with a lot of different messages. How do you navigate it at home, especially with food and with the kids and with your relationship to body? Obviously, you talked about being much happier with it, but, uh, but that your concerns from a health point of view. So how, what messaging goes off at home with it all? Well, so 
varied really I mean I I have um five children including my stepson uh my daughter who is 19 is is so beautiful and slim and flat tummied and she is so and she thinks of herself as fat Mm. and the other day we went for a walk and she had to put a raincoat on even though it was warm outside because she didn't want people to see her and I and I said to her you know you are beautiful don't you and she's like well that's not how I feel and I actually asked her where do you get that from where do you get that sense that that sense of self-consciousness from is it from Instagram she went no it's not from Instagram and I said is it from advertising because from my perspective you see a lot more normal women in advertising now than you ever have and she said mm. no it's not from advertising it's just in my head and I, so I to my daughter I say as I said then you are not only are you beautiful but I need you to know that you are beautiful now in this moment when you are 19 years old because you are more you know you right now are in your peak you're stunning and you need to own it and live it and enjoy it and not hide it Mm. um so that's the messaging that I try to give to her but it's so interesting to me that she's she lives with you know with largely with me because she's been at home this year because of lockdown um with a with a larger woman who is very body positive um and and yet she as beautiful she is and hourglass as she is she still feels this ingrained sense that she's not good enough Mm. and she can't put her finger on why that is um and then with with my sons um I you know I've always said you you eat as much as you want to eat and you can have one snack a day and you can have as much fruit as you want um and I have one and this is a real interesting sort of nurture nature thing is that my of my twins who are both little skinny minis uh one of them will eat absolutely everything he will eat vegetables fruit spices whatever you put on his plate he will eat it the other one who has had exactly the same upbringing in Mm -hmm. every respect will only eat three things Mm. um and you know they're obviously They've got different blood types, they're different people. They're obviously in some way genetically modelled differently. Yeah. And um, that's an interesting thing to me because what does that mean in terms of the larger population? I'm rambling a bit now. No, Um, (laughs) no, I I get it all completely. Well, it brings us on because we were talking, I I get it all completely. I think the nature-nurture thing is a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting debate anyway. Um, That whole thing fascinates me. Um, But you, we, we also talked about how you feel about yourself more generally and, um, and self-esteem versus self-confidence and all of, that side of things um and you mentioned about a situation in your childhood that you are coming to realize has led to a lot of your issues now yeah um and that's you know that's that falls into that nature nurture situation doesn't it yes it does yeah I was so I was sexually abused by a family member when I was a child and um the weird thing for me is that I've only come to realize that in the last few years um and I real and I know that anybody listening might think well how can you have not known that you were sexually abused um and the reason is because I was 
groomed and gaslit as a child into thinking it was consensual. And I was eight and nine years old, so of course it wasn't consensual. Um, but I've only just realised it. And I, uh, well, I'm, yeah. I think I was 40, in my 46, 47, and I was watching something about um, someone who had been abused, sexually abused as a child, and I suddenly realised, oh my God, that happened to me. And it's true that your brain filters out uh, and blocks out a lot of memories mm-hmm. and a lot of things that have happened. Um, in really weird and wonderful ways, actually. Um, and so part of, I, I've i done quite a lot of therapy now into that. Um, and you talk about, we talked earlier about Little Rowan and part of my therapy was to um, go and retrieve Little Rowan from her childhood mm. where she was in danger and bring her into grown-up Rowan where I can keep her safe. Um, but I think... The impact on that, on the way that I deal with food and um, using it as comfort and and in some ways kind of masking myself in weight is mm. is partly down to that experience, mm. to, to that experience and also to that realisation because it was such a shock. To, I mean, I, I don't know... Uh, I, I think if, it, if I was listening to me on the outside, I would think, I would think uh, that's just not possible. Um, but it was such a shock when I kind of suddenly thought, well, hang on a minute, that happened to me. And no, that wasn't right. That shouldn't mm. have happened. Mm. And what the hell? And, you know, you get little glimpses through your life. I remember saying something to somebody in my 20s about, oh, this happened. But, you know, that kind of thing happens. That's normal. And and my friend looking at me going, that's not normal. And I just dismissed it. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. Uh, and sort of shut it off. So... That impacted the way that I that I grew up as a woman, and I think must have imp- impacted my relationship with food and, and sort of masking my physical self mm. in pounds. Yeah, my heart is racing at this point because I have never, uh, <clears throat> in this kind of framework, I have never discussed this, but um, I relate to your story and had I don't know your obviously the detail of your experience but had experiences of my own in that area and I still find it incredibly difficult to talk about and may even edit it out of (laughs) out of the podcast who knows um because uh it's certainly not something that family members other than one of them particularly know about um I I would never I wouldn't I mean I would never sit down with my mum and tell her. What no, happened. no, never. no. Well, I, um, I mean, I, I my mum's gone now, so I can't talk to her about it. My dad's still around and may listen to this. And uh, if that's the case, dad, I'm okay, and I don't want to talk about it with you because. <laughs> uh, because I'm sure that uh, he would want to go and rescue little Anna and <laughs> fix it off for me, bless him. Mm. Um, but certainly I only realised, came to that realisation in recent years. Mm. Um, and there is something for me that I, I definitely need to go through the therapist stage. I haven't done that bit yet. Um, but there's something for me about, I 
sort of firmly feel now that my detachment from body stems mm-hmm. from that experience. The yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I totally can see that. Mm. And the yeah. fact that I do I, that I I don't have the feeling that my body is mine that I don't feel any autonomy over my body, mm. and I yeah. think again I, that for me it feels as if that goes back to that point when when that was taken that autonomy was taken away from me. Yes, I I completely hundred percent understand what you're saying there, and I also think I was very overt outwardly sexualized person from a very early age um and that was not necessarily my choosing it was the way that I dealt with what had happened um maybe unconsciously trying to take ownership of it yeah um and so I have always you know been actually as fat as I am you'll still see me in a tight top and a low cut top and a you know yeah gee god damn it (laughs) (laughs) anything that anything you know I never I'm never afraid of I I'm always always sort of like showing showing my figure because I I, uh because still that's kind of my mindset Uh, and I don't believe in modesty for the sake of it Um, no I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say but I think you're right. You lose you lose autonomy over your body, but also you learn that there is a role for your body, and that is to be sexually available. Yeah. Um, and then if you tie that into tr- struggling with weight as well, mm-hmm. it just becomes a hot mess of yeah. uh, psychological entanglements that I still haven't unraveled yeah yeah absolutely well I I I definitely I have said before I hugely dislike being given compliments about how I look um you know most of my good friends know that and they will tell me what they think and then they'll go right stop talking to Anna now because it's all got a bit too much for her yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> because I I think I in many ways I went the opposite way, and I I think a lot of when I have lost weight and then become noticeable by the opposite sex again, um, I had that's I have immediately wanted to dismantle that and 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 revert back to the invisible version of me mm-hmm. um, that doesn't warrant the the comments or the looks or the you know pats on the arse or whatever it is mm. from in the nineties kind of thing. Um, so there's, you know, that's definitely there as well. I, I do think it goes one of two ways. I think you either become overt in it or you just want to hide. I've, you know, yes. I have definitely just want, wanted to hide and it's impacted everything. It has impacted everything. Um, so yeah, food becomes the crutch, crutch, doesn't it? Food becomes the crutch and there's a lot of damage done when, um, when you suffer that kind of, abuse as a child um and I and I think unfortunately it's not that rare <laughs> I no. think, you know there'll probably be people listening to this who think well hang on a minute wait maybe that's me too yeah um, and I read a study that said that it's people in their 40s who who most you know who people are on, on average in their 40s when they realize that they've been sexually abused yeah. which is sort of terrifying isn't it because yeah. it it just goes to show how 
manipulated you are psychologically as yeah. a as a small child in into thinking something's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A difficult one to segue away from, but I'm going yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> We need a laugh now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I uh, was asking about uh, what makes you worry for young people. And obviously you talked about your daughter uh, mm. a minute ago and that kind of, the, the idea that a lifetime of dieting will only result in the opposite of what she wants and what any of us, you know, technically want. Mm. Well, how do we, how do we, knowing what we know, this is probably too big a question for you to be able to answer. <laughs> but knowing what we know, how do we pass on those messages? How do we stop this? Are we in a situation where it is purely a nature versus nurture and it is just in some people's nature to um, feel that way about themselves? Um, it's it's so hard. I mean, on a, on a sort of personal level, I encourage my daughter not to not to diet you know I found over the over the last few months I realized that she was she's nearly 20 so I I don't interfere with her choices as too much because I wanted to be able to be independent but I realized she was only eating one meal a day and I said to her you know that's not that isn't going to have the opposite effect on what you want and you're going to end up looking like your mother (laughs) (laughs) you should eat you know you should eat healthily um and you need to sort of feed your metabolism uh, so I try and have frank and honest conversations with her um, and to give her the best possible encouragement I can. Um, and with my sons, one of whom is not naturally skinny and two who are, you know, I don't medicate them with sweets. Yeah. I do encourage them to go out and play and be active. Um, and I want them to have positive image of themselves which I think actually in boys is, is just more innate you know they just have it it's more I don't know why I don't I uh, they've been brought up by a feminist but you know um they yeah. still just have that innate self-confidence um on a wider level on a societal level I think it's it's a huge reset is needed to be done um mm. it's not about banning fast food adverts before 9 p.m no uh, it's not about shaming obese people into uh, diets that aren't going to work. It is about, as you said earlier, um, understanding how our weight works in, in this 20th century world and how we can best treat that um, and deal with it on a very wide level and I don't know how that happens Mm. (laughs) you know we all know we've got to protect the NHS and that you know being fat is putting the NHS in danger um but how tell me then how do I as a 50 year old woman who does everything right lose that weight Mm. how does how does that happen please someone tell me and if somebody leaves a message or comments or does whatever say you need to move more than you could put calories in your body I will go around to your house and slap you I'm saying <laughs> gonna happen all right I'll, I'll be right behind you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll be right behind you I just I mean I genuinely don't know whether it's 
I don't know whether it's possible. That's maybe not the, <laughs> that's not the answer any of us want to hear, is it? But no. I do have quite a lot of faith in our Generation Z children. I think they're marvellous. Yeah. Um, as long as they get to rule the world and not their Etonian yeah. <laughs> politics, not yeah. their Etonian counterparts, yeah. maybe we'll be okay. But, that um, and the people who programme Love Island. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, love, I mean, that's such awful, I mean, you know, I've got friends who are addicted to Love Island. Um, but the idea that you can have any kind of television programme based on how good you look in a bikini is just, it's awful, isn't it? It's really awful. Yeah, it's really awful. I mean, I I, un- I do understand, although it's not one I've ever watched, I do understand the concept of escapist TV. Hmm. But I just find that yeah, one Bridgerton so... Bridgerton every day of the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, here's your escapist TV. Um, Preferably adapted from our books, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, let's end on what you wish you'd known when you were younger. Uh, what I'd wish I'd known when I was younger was that I was skinny a when I was a very little girl uh, but also I just wish that I'd known in every age of my life I wish I'd known how fabulous I was and owned it um, and now I'm 50 I am owning my fabulousness but it's taken me a half a century of life to get to that point I mean I wish if I could do anything I'd like to time travel back in time <laughs> and say to teens 20s 30s 40s me you are fabulous Mm. you are fabulous Rowan and I'm so grateful for our chat today thank you well even as I record this outro I'm not sure if I'll let this conversation go live um I should probably apologize to Rowan for jumping into her sharing with my own experience as I said in the recording to anyone who knows me but didn't know this I love you but I don't want to talk about it slowly slowly eh If you want to follow Rowan's writing, you can find her at Rowan Coleman on Twitter or Rowan M. Coleman on Instagram. Her website is rowancoleman.co.uk and if you haven't read any of her books, I can highly recommend them. If you've any thoughts following today's chat, feel free to tag me on Twitter or Instagram at howtobreathesoyoudon'tlookfat or you can email me at howtobreathepodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we talk with Kate Passmore, known to many on Instagram as Kate to Coast. Uh, We explore the triggers we have to binging, not talking about our bodies, and the finest aspect of any good Sunday dinner, the roast potato. If you can, please do like, rate and subscribe to the podcast. I'd be extremely grateful, not least because it helps more people find us and I'd love to get these chats out to as many as possible. For now though, thanks to Mike Hall for editing and music, to my guest Rowan for being so open and generous and thank you very much for your time. See you next week.